0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm here with artist-designer Kat McLeod, who is a co-director of Belemo and Kat Architects. I think uh, it's a timely um, a guest because normally we have artists or creatives and then we have architects this is a person who's working very closely at the interface between art and architecture so welcome to the show Kat.
1: Thank you Stephen good to be here.
0: Kat you have a very interesting background how did you come to public art before we even start talking about your architecture?
1: Uh, I guess I was working um as an artist and I I kind of uh, felt a bit, I guess, constrained about the studio practice and exhibiting and I was living in the city and started just um, working with a group of retailers doing kind of interactive pieces in the street to enliven part of the um, city of Melbourne. When was this? When was this? Good God. (laughs) This is probably 90s. Um, with the creation of the Swanston Street Walk where they blocked off part of the street. So we started doing things in the street around that time um, for a group of retailers and I did something with the Fringe Festival which turned out to just be a mega party. (laughs) But, you know, we're... Uh, sector twenty nine that cafe is in the back of um, Swanston Street. Yeah. so we had a major party in there, and um, things like that, like sort of events, we ran events around there. and then I guess I kind of realised that I liked working in the public realm. it was still it was still um, about art, um but it was more about taking art from out of the studio and into the public space. and then because of that, I got involved with architecture inevitably.
0: Kate, what was the early work like in the city that you did?
1: Um,
0: was it sculpture? Oh, uh, Yeah, it was kind of what
1: I did is I worked with a group of my friends and so we did kind of all sorts of pin-ups and, you know, what you'd call pop-up artworks, you know, that were temporary and just designed to stay there for, you know, a day, two days, a week, whatever, something like that, you know. Yeah. So different things, like, mm. you know, one girlfriend did a thousand socks, hung up a whole lot of socks on lines, and there was something to do with ping pong balls, and then we made these um, shapes out of fiberglass and, you know, things like
0: that. So, when did you actually start Belemo and Cat with Michael Belemo?
1: Michael Belemo. Um, Your life
0: and business partner. My
1: life and business partner, and I guess that was kind of the other thing that pushed me into working, well, not pushed me, but led me into working with architecture, was meeting Michael, who was um at that stage i was designing a restaurant uh, the interior fit out for a restaurant and he was doing a series of sculptures for an exhibition and so so we were working on the opposite, opposite. <laughs> side of our professions and we sort of met and we went oh this is very odd <laughs> and so we started working together immediately and um decided that we'd go for, you know, a couple of public art commissions and won a couple of public art commissions together and and then um, started uh, designing together uh, houses. architecture houses. Yeah, yeah. So that our first house for our, our business was our house for ourselves, Cocoon, down at Y River.
0: This was almost like... How would you describe it? It was almost 000. like a what do you call those flying machines in the A zeppelin? A zeppelin, almost yes, uh, just
1: la- A zeppelin. The
0: frame of a zeppelin, almost yeah. just stuck in a tree.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like a, a zeppelin landed in the bush in uh, yeah in southern Victoria. It's yeah, it's a very beautiful thing. It was quite amazing um, fusion for us because. Uh, we were sort of doing plans in a kind of straightforward planning fashion, and then Michael made this beautiful little uh, stone sculpture. He was doing these stone sculptures with, you know, uh, so perfect circles or perfect spheres with, you know, odd things attached to them, like funny old legs of bicycles or things like that, you know, legs of chairs and things. And so we made this one that was a little egg, a little stone egg with a matchbox in it, and that was the house. How lovely. And it just never changed. It, and that I became mean,
0: your holiday house. That
1: became a holiday house, yeah. And that was our first house for ourselves. That was a fantastic journey. It was a really great fusion of both our, our um, interests because we built it. Eventually we tried to get a builder's interested and they were freaked, so we mm. ended up getting a build at start. And then we, because we um, built it ourselves, there was a lot of spin-offs from that that led into um, straightforward uh, artworks. So we built huh. sculptures from that experience directly.
0: There's a couple of sculptures come to mind. There's uh, one at Docklands, oh, which yeah, is quite wave-like. Wave-like. Steel. Well, that's
1: not there anymore. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Must have been removed but just yeah, last week. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yes, well, go on the way of back. progress. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. And um, we did one for the Helen Lemprier Award down in Werribee, which was a big... Uh, timber basket, like a gigantic timber egg, but wo- made out of woven timber strands.
0: Um, Kat, then you also built a very experimental house, your previous home that you've just uh, moved on from, in Northcote.
1: Oh yeah, well that was a spin-off of the um, aforementioned basket weaving sculpture at Werribee which was a spin-off of Why River, because what we did was we wanted to continue the line of thinking in the house in Why River without being um, able to build another egg or wanting to build another egg. We built a box instead of an egg. Um, and so we printed it with a photograph of the sculpture that was made from the house made from the inspiration of the house. And that was
0: inlaid, in, placed on the fiberglass as yeah. a pattern.
1: It was printed on the inside of the fiberglass, yeah, which uh, formed the perimeter wall of the house. So that was kind of like a public artwork that was privately funded, really. It was mm-hmm. our kind of Medici moment in the back streets of <laughs> Melbourne, you know. It was, I mean, there were lots yeah. of reasons for doing it, one <laughs> To get rid of the, you know, to um, stop the graffiti potential. It was, either, it was a very heavily graffitied lane. It was either you do it or they do it.
0: So you made a statement and said, yeah. we're here first, and you've almost tagged the building. Yeah, we've, we've tagged. tagged it.
1: We've tagged the building, and we've also made an urban jungle, because, you know, one of our neighbours said that they needed a bit of greenery. So we went with, a, you know, like an artificial greenery.
0: It was a very interesting house. It uh, won several awards. Uh,
1: yeah, a couple, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. And um, tell me some of the unusual things about the house, because it was designed for two children. The bedrooms were quite small.
1: The bedrooms were tiny. Um, well, and the, and it had our office in the front. Had our office in the front. and the, Facing the lane. Facing the lane, and then a garage, and then the bed. The children's bedroom was small, but they had a really big playroom. Mm-hmm. See, my, the children still love that house. They still prefer that one to the one we're building now <laughs> because they keep saying, yeah, we had a small bedroom, but we had a really big playroom and we had a slide that went from, you know, balcony number one to balcony number two. Then we jumped from the slide into our bedroom window
0: So you created it very much with children in mind, like an extension of a playground.
1: Yeah, yeah. And all kids that visited that house thought it was like, you know, a big fun fair design for them because it had these big waterfall steps, timber steps, and the kids used that for performance and, you know, laying out their Lego and doing all sorts of things. So it was a very interactive space for children.
0: Kat, when you design a house like that, and it is very bespoke, there are two things that come to mind. One is do you ever think you're going to move out of it because it is such a statement house? And B, do you ever think about, well, who's going to live in it next?
1: Um, yeah, you know, when we started designing it, we never thought we would, uh, move out of it, but it kind of was the tandem piece to the house at Y river because we still had that. So it was kind of the opposite end. The book of, end. Yeah. The bookend to that house it was the urban house. It was very urban, Um, and
0: when you sold Y River, we saw
1: when we sold Y River, we thought we kind of it didn't suit us anymore. Or we wanted to mess around with that house. We wanted to add to it. We needed a bit more outdoor space, garden space, Mm. because we'd lost our beautiful outdoor space at Y River. So we felt like we needed possibly more me than the kids, because the kids love a bit of Bloody back lane, God, Mm. you know, scribbling on the pavement with chalk, kicking their footy up and down it. They played cricket with the guys who worked in the restaurants, you know, they had a ball. They really loved it. Um, So I think I wanted a garden. (laughs) And I realised the way to get the garden was to go onto the roof. And then we started thinking about, and we can't help ourselves, we just want to build. So we wanted to build more and add to it. And then we went, well, why don't we just sell this one and build again another one?
0: So that leads us to my next question. How do you move on from that house? What are you looking for in your next home? Because the kids are actually older now. They're, yeah. they're 10, 12? 10 and 9.
1: Yeah, so um, what we were looking for were um, me, a garden, and Michael, a view. Uh, he's got this thing about views. It's a inherited family trait. They always must have a view, so um, they're Venetians. So they've got this thing about looking out and... Um, I guess then we also wanted an opportunity to do something. We weren't going to just buy a house and live in it. It's work for us, so we wanted an opportunity to be our own clients again because we're great clients. <laughs>
0: so, Kat, what we so you bought an Edwardian house?
1: No, 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 uh, no. We bought uh, a 1960s. Um, sorry, that's a bad photo. That's, that's oh, a okay. rendering. It, that's a really right. rendering. So we bought a um, 1960s brick venereal in um, on the hill in Northcote, which has got it, this fantastic concrete plinth in front of it. So,
0: so this is how it was originally. Yeah. So it's probably. The most unloved house in the street.
1: Oh, people thought it was a joke. In fact, a friend looks rang a us like and a, said...
0: Well, it looks a bit like a, a, a 60s clinic.
1: A 60s clinic. Yeah, exactly. It is a bit like that. And so someone rang us and said, you are going to love this house. Everyone hates it. Uh, go and have a look. And we went and looked at it and went, fantastic. Love this house. You know, it's a 60s house, It's but it's got a flat roof. Tick. All the internal walls are not low-bearing. Tick. The windows are fantastically placed in the corners of the building rather than bang smack in the middle. Um, and it's got a lovely layout, and it's got a garden. And it's, it didn't have – I mean, it's got quite a good view, but it has the potential for an amazing blockbuster view of the city, um, which we have uh, capitalised on.
0: Are you going to be keeping the ramp that I see in the photo? The
1: ramp may go. <laughs> the, the ramp may go, but, you know, I guess the other thing is we do a lot of renovations, as every, you know, small architectural practice does. And really you get these people who say, oh, we've bought this house and we really like this house. And then eventually you end up eviscerating the house, you know, and nothing Is kept of the house. And so we've gone for, no, we like this house. We are keeping 90, we are keeping, we've moved one wall and have got rid of the soffit in a certain, in a part of the building. And apart from that, the house as it is stays exactly as it is.
0: And you'll be adding that second level.
1: Yeah, we'll add the second level. That's all we'll do. Timber
0: and then this very um, delicious yellow ribbon like steel.
1: Yeah. Thing.
0: Uh, thing. What is, is that thing?
1: What is that thing? Well, uh, the thing is that being on the hill in Northcote, this is in a street full of um, socially important, if not historically important, houses from the you know eighteen nineties on. So interesting Federation mm. um, buildings, and. Uh, to get out, and the heritage advisor first off was his first comments was, "Oh, we thought you would remove the house, just knock it down." Is the best response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we said, "Well, environmentally, that's not a very good response. This is a very sound, well built mm-hmm. brick building, with everything in it perfectly functioning," um, and so. Uh, we had to have a very good line with the heritage people. And we also really wanted to have a good response to the neighbourhood because it's a neighbourhood of really exuberant, over-the-top um Federation-style houses like... Gargoyles. Know, gargoyles. Or... You know, they don't have one gargoyle. They've got... Ten, you know, everybody's got as many turrets and gargoyles as they possibly could have. So our rationale was to go for roof exuberance. So we've actually just decided to go with everybody else's over-the-top roof embellishment and have done an embellished roof, but within keeping within the style of our existing house. So we've gone for a 60s style um, roof
0: embellishment.
1: And I guess also the other thing is when you get
0: for people who can't see, it's like an organic. Um organic shaped flat roof sitting on the mm. top
1: yeah it 's a like a Noguchi table if you could imagine mm. the Noguchi coffee table, but in ribbon form, so it 's just like a a big yellow band in the in the in the sky and I guess the other thing is because it's on the top of the hill when you get to the street you look up at all these gargoyles and so on so we were always looking up at these gargoyles so we move from looking up at a gargoyle and translated that into a cloud that happened to be passing that kind of looked a bit like a a gargoyle sort of like a bunny gargoyle thing and went aha okay so we're going to take our roof embellishment from gargoyle to cloud shape and that's where we that's how we got to that shape that shape is really a simplified cloud a streamlined cloud
0: so downstairs you'll it's really... a
1: gold cloud we're going to be living within the gold cloud
0: cat downstairs you'll will be bedrooms and would you put yeah. living room up living upstairs.
1: room is going to be upstairs. Kitchen,
0: upstairs kitchen living upstairs kitchen
1: living upstairs at the moment we're leaving the um, 1960s kitchen downstairs because it's quite beautiful <laughs> it's
0: very what does it mean what does it mean quite beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of uh, original, you know, original laminax and original, you know, multicoloured blue sliding doors and everything's quite functional. So we've gone, mm, let's just live with it for a minute and see how we feel about it. And how do we incorporate that feeling upstairs? Because we're trying to reuse as many bits and pieces from the house as we can. So we're taking the ceiling lights and putting them on the wall, for example, in so it gives it a fresh, fresh, quick, fresh look, failure. but but we're kind of reworking a lot of the stuff. We're taking all the cupboard doors and making them into a wall for one of the bedrooms and a big sliding door out of all the old little cupboard doors and things like that. Kat, so, yeah.
0: do you get uh, concerned about the, the number of people who walk into a house like this and they might bowl it over or they just do such a number on it that it's unrecognisable? Is it something that people don't get, or it has to be the right client. Yeah,
1: yeah. This I idea of putting new
0: kitchens in all the time. Oh,
1: all the time, yeah. And everybody has walked in and "Say, like, oh, so you rip the bathroom out. It's like, no, the bathroom works really well, and I love the why, blue. Why do you think? The why, blue, funny blue china is great. Um, why do you think there is that? Uh, why do we think? I think because I think. Ripping out mentality. Ripping out mentality. I think we've all got the, um, it's a little bit of a cargo cult thing. It's a bit of a, you know. What history we've got, we don't really... We either respect it in way too pristine a fashion or we expect it to be, you know, totally polished and, you know, synthetically wrapped Mm. to be kept... And we've just gotten, a, you know, a thing that everything must be new and sparkly. I think mm. very few people will live with something that is, you know, old. slightly old or, yeah, and it's sort of like perfect. What is perfect? I have this thing all the time. I'm always trying to use marble and clients are always going, oh, no, 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 it's going to stain. It's going to mm. chip. It's like, yeah, well, so life stains and life chips, but you, it's you're part of, life. part of life, you know, it's part of living, living with stuff that has life within it is beautiful. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, you've also recently done uh, a pavilion in Mildura, the yes. Langtree Mall, Mall Pavilion, pavilion yeah. and uh, won an award this year at the Australian <laughs> Institute of Architects Victorian Chapter. Yeah, a Very interesting uh, idea, and to me it reminds me of uh, Izzy Miyake Fabric. That's been thrown across the pavement. Tell me a little bit about that cat.
1: Oh, I love that reference. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't well, it have is. thought. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a bit like a crimpled... It's like a flat landscape that's been crimpled up. Um,
0: or it could be a Noguchi light. A Noguchi light. Been extended. Light.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess that was kind of. I mean, amping up the local landscape was really kind of one of the drivers for this. This is a um, project for the heart. of... Of Mildura, which is a rural town in the northwest of Victoria, which is um, an agricultural area famous for oranges and grapes and um, sultanas. And so although this is an urban project within the centre of the town, it is really also a rural project. And what we tried to do was tie back within the urban centre the rural roots of the town, because I think you sometimes get in these rural towns, you get a kind of vacuum and a disconnection between the two situations, between, you know, the rural Mm. hinterland, Mm. i.e. the reason for the town being there, and the centre of the township just looks like it could be in, you know, lower Melbourne or, you know, any other suburb of Melbourne or, you know any bigger city. So I guess we tried very hard to find a reference for the work and we came up with the... Um Orchards, you know, the orchards, the layout of the orchards is really quite special around there because it's irrigated land. It's flat, but because of the, I think because of the reason to irrigate and something to do with inheritance, the landscape has ended up being this really interesting patchwork. So we like use, yeah, like a quilt, but not a quilt in regular squares. It's very irregular, um, shapes and lots of sort of funny Oblongs and triangles and so on, and so we used that um, iconography really to create the pattern. So we've we've tried to, and then we've built our pavilion um, as kind of like a series of uh, shapes made up of battens, so that then we're casting the shadow of the fields back in the city. So
0: they're almost the timber, the steel bats that we've mm. used in the pavilion are almost mm. like the lines. In in the dirt.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it really does feel like that. If you are there, you feel like you're walking under rows of, you know, rows of fields, rows of vineyards. And it's quite an interesting play, so sort of laying the you know the rural land back again in the urban land and you get this sort of striped shade which is quite interesting and obviously it changes throughout the day some of it's denser in the morning and you know looser in the afternoon and you get you know a very interesting shade pattern from a quite a simple the other thing from that project is it was in um it's about eight hours drive from melbourne and we couldn't administer the pro the project too heavily, so we had to come up with a very simple and practical build that could be handled by the local builder in Mildura. So it's got a complexity and it looks complex. It looks complex but it's actually very simple. It's got three different cranked beams and three different um sort of shade shapes, steel shapes. And then and then four different colours. And so it's just the variation in and the rearrangement of those pieces that make it look as sophisticated and complex as it is.
0: Kat, what I've noticed over my time as a writer um, is that a lot of architects don't engage with art. They don't engage with art and they don't engage with artists. And what's interesting about your practice is it brings the two together. Why is it that... A lot of architects don't work, with, collaborate with artists. I mean, there are a number who do and do it very well, but it is still a, a niche area.
1: Uh, well, is it I've because got, an artist wants know. control
0: and the architect oh, won't budge?
1: Oh, uh, Why other people don't do it? I don't know. Um, maybe, I guess, maybe a lot of architects consider they are artists as well. Which, to be fair, most mm. great architects are artists. Really, I mean, architecture mm. is uh, another art form. Mm. Architecture is mm. an art form, which is how I, I gravitated quite easily towards it. So, um, but I, do you
0: think it's it's too too many conflicting
1: uh, you, ideas? Or are there too many chefs?
0: Too many chefs.
1: If you've got uh, too an great architect, artists. yeah, you've got two artists really. So if you, the architect is an artist anyway, and so mm. you're getting another artist. So sometimes there is that conflict. But, I mean, collaboration is possible in any way. Anyway, you can have two artists working together. You can have two architects working together. You can have two landscape architects working together. You can have a landscape architect, an architect, and an artist working together. You know, it's like, you know, perhaps it is just a matter of um, too many head
0: chefs. Um, Another question, Kat, do you get engaged with architects, by architects, or do you tend to work directly with Michael and you tend to do your own thing?
1: Yeah, no, I've really probably never worked with anybody else. I've got my own architect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I work in-house with my own architect. Yeah. Um, and we both work, we work as design collaborators, really. We kind of don't see ourselves as architect, artists. Artist. No, we both do, you know. I deal with plumbing, he deals with, you know. <laughs> You know, fancy ribbons at the same time. So we both deal with the same stuff, really. And uh, and you cross
0: over and you might look at architecture over. and he looks yeah, at sculpture. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's assumed that I do all the interior stuff. And he's actually the guy who's really pedantic about, you know, size of drawers and so on. That's going to be mm. more his bag than mine. So, mm. um yeah, we do cross over quite a bit and... Be- I guess because we run our own practice, I don't work for other people as a hired gun. Though I could, I would, I would, I would like to. We collaborate with um, landscape architects quite uh, quite a lot, and um, well, especially other in the public realm. Yeah, in the public realm, of course, we're always collaborating with la- landscape, and so we are you know quite open to collaborating with other architects. We've got lots of friends who we would collaborate with.
0: Kate, you were telling me before we started that. One of the downsides of the business is you're continually putting yourself forward in competitions and you spend endless time mm. creating these wonderful schemes and then you put put it out to the never-never and you don't hear or you might hear. What? How frustrating is that?
1: Yeah, well, that is quite frustrating because you do put a lot of work into it and you and very... A lot of it's not paid. Yeah, a lot of it's not paid. You know, the interesting thing is, though, that public art expressions of interest... When you get shortlisted, you get paid. The mm. smaller architecture ones, you don't mm. ever. And I mean, that's really, architecture is a mug's game in some ways in this, in this country. It's really underpaid and under acknowledged, desperately under acknowledged and underpaid. I mean, why? Yeah, we've done quite a few this year who've, you know, and architecture ones where they've asked for a concept and the whole, the Plan. whole, well, not, well, yes, a little bit of planning, but also, um, yeah, a, a physical concept and as well as the standard tendering, you know, expression of interest, which is, you know, pages of pages of OH&S and all this kind of palaver, all this bureaucratic red tape that you have to do as well as coming up with the concept. And you, you do not get paid for it and you don't get any feedback. It must you, be terrible. Well, and you, you have to ring and say, okay, so who won? Why? What was
0: wrong with my scheme? <laughs> what
1: was wrong with my scheme? Was it the price? Was it the you know? Was it the sighting? What da da, da 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 da, and try and drag some information back out of people, but I think it's it's um, it's more the case that you really, if someone's going to ask you to come put forward a concept, you should be paid, I
0: agree.
1: and they should not get to keep the concept because. That's the other thing, you know. It's for, intellectual property. For public art, um, uh, they often get to keep the concept and use the concept. It is something that they put in the... Um, clause. In the clause that you, they will get to keep, um, yeah, the idea. And so you theoretically, can't say you, no. could,
0: you could see some of your work in different figurations and yeah. combinations. Yeah,
1: yeah. I haven't, but it could happen. <laughs> I have seen... Other friends' work used as, like, PR that, you know, Mm. wasn't their intention in that Mm. place. So, um, yeah, I think it's really that really the issue is that, you know, number one, there should be more public competitions for architecture. And they should be paid for. Yeah, Michael worked for a while in Austria and all small public buildings were like an open competition system. All public schools, all, you know, like housing and small municipal Mm. buildings were um, expression of interest and and competitions. And once you were shortlisted, you were paid. I know that happens in big competitions here. Um, But
0: it also happens in small competitions there.
1: Small competitions and it was genuinely open, Mm. not selected was here it would be selected amongst the same five architects. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well hopefully um, we'll see more of your work in Thank you. in Melbourne and um, uh, both sculpture and architecture and look forward to seeing the development of your new place in Northcote. I'm sure I'll get to write about it or I hope yes. to get to write about it when it's finished yes. and uh, look thanks so much for coming in today Kat it's been a pleasure. Thank and, you. I think you're an interesting figure on the design scene.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen. Pleasure to be here.
0: You've been with Stephen Crafty, talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.